We're starting a series called I Am. We sometimes use I Am statements as a, a way of self-affirmation. Uh, we wear t-shirts or, or have pictures or write, write little notes to ourselves. I am strong. I am brave. I am woman. Hear me roar. Whatever it is for you. I am. I, and and there, there are ways of affirming what we want to be true in our life. They're, they're aspirational in nature. When I say I am a certain character, I am a good leader, I am a strong person, um, I am someone who cares about others, I'm trying to talk myself into it, basically. I'm saying this is really important. I want to be this type of person, and so I use this to encourage myself in that direction. Uh, earlier in my life, I, I took a, a number of time management and goal setting and priority setting courses and most of them at some point dealt with character or the type of person that we want to be and they encourage this like write out the type of person that you want to want to be but all of them said the same thing write it in present tense as if it's already true write it as if this describes you now and then read it to yourself remind yourself so that that'll help you become that type of person. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It helps some people. Maybe it doesn't help other people, but all of that is aspirational in nature. I aspire to be this. We're going to be studying I am statements by Jesus. The I am statements by Jesus aren't aspirational. They're absolute. Jesus is not saying, I'm just kind of coaching myself up here. I'm hoping to be this type of person one day. Jesus is conveying to the audience in the first century and to us through his word, this is who I am. This is who I've always been, will always be. I will not change. This is a part of my nature, and I want you to learn what my nature is like. Now, the tricky part is Jesus doesn't say I am strong or I am brave, or I am something really clear. Instead, he says, uh, I'm the true vine, or I'm the good shepherd. So he uses metaphors, uh, metaphors that would have been easily identifiable in the first century. So things that people understood, but not necessarily things that were self-evident, because they were an illustration. That's why for the next probably six weeks, taking us through Palm Sunday... We're going to walk through a number of these I am statements that Jesus made and, and see if we can figure out what he meant. Before or along with Jesus saying, I am fill in the blank, Jesus at times just stopped with I am, I am period, or I am exclamation point. And to understand what Jesus means with the other sayings, We've got to understand why he said that, why Jesus would say, I am, as in John chapter 8. All of the messages are going to be in the Gospel of John uh, during this series. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, the second section of the Bible as a reminder. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is where we're going to be. Some of us are reading through the Gospel of John together. We'd love for you to join us if you're not currently reading with us. We read chapters 1 through 5 this past week. Monday through Friday, we read a chapter a day. 
Tomorrow we'll be in John 6, and we'll read a verse Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every day on the church Facebook page, I post some comments about that chapter. So you can read a little devotional uh, about the, the chapter and then read the chapter itself. Uh, we've also made it an audio form, so you can access it in audio form on Alexa. So feel free uh, to do that. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having a discussion that almost always turned into a, a debate with a crowd of people. And, and they're asking questions and they're... Some of them are looking for answers and some of them are just looking for an argument. We have people in our lives like that, right? Some people look for answers, some are looking for arguments. There was both of that going on and, and, and Jesus is trying to convince them that he's from God and is God and is here to do the will of God and to point to the glory of God and they're not buying it. Most of the crowd's not buying it at all. In John Chapter 8, verse 40, 48, 49, one of the, to me, one of the most hilarious questions in the gospel. I don't know if you read the Bible and find it hysterical sometimes. I do. I may be the only one. Here's what happens in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 47. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you not, do not belong to God. The Jews answered him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Like, who asks a question like that? If you and I meet in the hallway after the service and I go, aren't you from Monroe and hate your mother? Like, who, who leads a, off a discussion now? Aren't you from Loganville and totally insane? Isn't that you? Don't I remember that correctly? Nobody does that, but the, the Jewish, somebody in the crowd says, aren't you from Samaria and you're demon-possessed? And Jesus says, I'm not demon-possessed. And then he goes right back in to trying to convince them, I came from God, I am God, I'm trying to do the will of God. And this whole time, kind of the temperature in the crowd is rising. People are starting to lose it a little bit. People are getting angrier at Jesus. In his description... Jesus refers to Abraham, and it startles everybody. And so one of them asked, You are not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? And then here's Jesus' response. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. So this was the moment that set them off. Why not earlier? Why this moment? Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. Well, for one, Jesus was putting himself above Abraham, who was the father of their faith, the human father of their faith, they believe. So Jesus is putting himself above Abraham, but that wasn't the biggest problem. When Jesus used the term, I am, to refer to himself, he was taking the very name of God. If you read Exodus chapter 3, there's the story of Moses standing before a burning bush and God is telling Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the Hebrew children out of slavery because they're supposed to go worship God and eventually go to the promised land. And Moses wants to get out of it. He's making excuses. He's nervous. And so finally, at one point in Exodus 3, Moses says, well, if I go to Pharaoh and he asks me who sent you what do I tell him? Whose name do I give him? Because all I see is a burning bush. 
Who are you? What's your name? What authority am I going in? And here's God's response. I am that I am. Tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. And Moses said, that clears it right up. I'll go. Actually, he didn't. Moses is still confused. I am that I am. Tell them, I am sent you. This is the name Essentially, God gives himself. This is the name you are to know God by, I am. Now, we transliterate it into English from the Hebrew as Yahweh. We think maybe that's the way it was pronounced. The truth is we don't really know how it was pronounced. There weren't vowels in Hebrew writing, so we're just kind of guessing at the vowels. The other problem is the Jewish people, Hebrew children, Israelites... They decided because God gave himself this name, it was so holy and so sacred, they shouldn't repeat it. So if you were an observant Jewish person at the time, all throughout the Old and New Testament, you didn't say Yahweh or its Greek equivalent when it, when it was translated into Greek. You didn't say I am. The, the third commandment of the Ten Commandments is not to misuse the name of God. Don't dishonor the name of God. And so to the Israelites, they were afraid if they spoke the name Yahweh, they, they could dishonor it so they never said this word. That's how sacred this word was to them. Most of the time they didn't write it. In, in the Old Testament, Yahweh is not always used for God because sometimes they would come to the name of God and they would decide, let's use another name because I don't want to write it and potentially misuse or dishonor the name of God. So there was this unbelievable reverence for this name that God gave himself, I am. Thousands of years later, there's a guy born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, a guy named Jesus, and he's standing before the crowd, and he's making all kinds of claims, and then suddenly this guy says, my name is God's name. I am. I am going to take the name that none of you are willing to say because you think it's too sacred, and I'm going to call myself by that name before Abraham was I am. And every time Jesus uses that phrase, he's reminding them, I'm one with God. I'm the same as God. I come from God. I'm fulfilling the will of God. I am. So before we get to the phrases, let's think about what I am must mean. And we could talk a long time about this. Let me give you just a couple of bullet points. When God says his name is I am, and then Jesus takes that name, I am means God is self-existent. Nobody created God. He didn't start at any time. He didn't just come to be. He wasn't born. He, he didn't have an, an, an origin date. He has always been. He is self-existent. He depends on no one and nothing for his existence, which blows our mind. Right? We, we don't know anybody like that. We all had a birthday. One day we're going to have a death day. We live within time and space. When God says, I am, part of what he's saying is, I'm self-existence. I don't owe my existence to anyone or anything. I have always existed. I will always exist. 
I am. He also means, I am means God is self-defining. Nobody gets to define what God is or who God is other than God. What you and I think about God doesn't change God. Whether we believe in God or not doesn't change God. You can accept God. You can reject God. That doesn't change anything about God. God gets to define who he is and what he's like. Our role is to discover what God has said about himself in his word. Who, is, who has he revealed himself to be in his word? A, a third thought. I am means God is self-sufficient. God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anyone. God doesn't need us. We weren't created out of some longing in God's heart or some need in God's heart. We didn't fix something in God. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need people. He didn't need friends. God created us just out of his love and mercy to give us life, to give us an opportunity for joy and, and, and happiness. He didn't create us because he needed us. God doesn't need anything. God is self-sufficient. That also means that God can do whatever God wants to do. God does His will, His desire. God fulfills His purposes. He's not on our timeline. He's not on our schedule. He doesn't respond to our demands. God does exactly as he pleases. Last thing, then we'll get to Jesus' statements. I am means God is inexhaustible. You can't use God up. When God forgives me, and I need God's forgiveness a lot, when God gives His grace and mercy to me, when God forgives me, His battery level doesn't bump down one notch, ever. When God forgives you, it doesn't use up some part of God that's now not going to be available later on. When you ask God for something today, you pray sincerely, seeking God and asking something of God. Tomorrow, God doesn't say, oh, you used up one. You're down one. You only got nine more. He's not a genie. Or he's counting down three, two, one. Here are the things I can do. Here's the, I can't bring people back from the dead. I can't make you fall in love. That's not God. God is inexhaustible. We never get to a point where he's worn out. We get worn out. Right? We never get to a point where he's exhausted and he needs some personal space. We need that. Right? We need time alone. We need to recharge our batteries. Not God. He's inexhaustible. Uh, how many of you are squeeze the toothpaste at the bottom people? How many of you are squeeze the toothpaste in the middle people? How many of you are squeeze the toothpaste wherever you picked it up people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a live look at my uh, actual tube of toothpaste. Uh, I did use it this morning. Th this is about the time that that starts to matter, isn't it? Right? I mean, at the beginning, it doesn't matter a whole lot because there's plenty in here. But this is the point where you start rolling it. Right? We have any rollers? 
uh, or you start twisting it. You, it. you get it all the way to the top and then you have to twist it or you have to pinch it or squeeze it one more time. We're not going to the grocery, grocery store till Tuesday, so make it work. Get just a little more out of there. I have been told that there are people who actually cut the tube open like they fillet it <laughs> and then scoop out. If that's you, props to you. I mad respect to you for your efficiency. Don't tell me if that's you. I don't, I don't want to know that about you. Toothpaste, is, toothpaste gets used up, right? And we get to the point where we're squeezing and we're pinching and we're trying to make it last just another day because we forgot to stop by the grocery store and we don't want to have bad breath all day. And so we're just trying to get a little bit more out of it. We will never come to God that way. We'll never come to God where we have to say, God, can I just have a little bit more of your grace? God, I know I asked for something yesterday. Can I just ask for one more thing? God's not a tube of toothpaste. We're not trying to get everything out of him. He is inexhaustible and unchanging. He's going to be inexhaustible tomorrow and the next day and the next day. One of the Old Testament prophets described it as his mercies are new every morning. They just keep pouring. They just keep coming. You can't possibly use them up. He doesn't change. You and I, we are different today than when we were five, right? Unless there are five-year-olds in the house. We were different at five than we are today. We've changed. We've grown up. We we know things today we didn't know when we were five. That's not God. He's not going through this progression of time and space where he knows more now than he used to know. Or he's going to know more eventually than he knows right now. Or he's going to look at things differently one day than he looks at them today. God's name for himself and the name Jesus took when he came is I am. I'm always the same. I'm not exhaustible. You can't use me up. I am self-defining and self-existent. Jesus comes along. He says, yeah, that's me. The name that you won't say is my name. The name that you won't write, it's my name. I am one with God. And then Jesus pushes it a little bit further because he begins to add descriptions to the end of the phrase, I am. I'm going to read the first one and then we'll back up. We'll get the context and run through it. John chapter 6 in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I'm not just I am. I'm everything that God is when he said I am. Let me help you understand what that means. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, the context, if you back up to the beginning of chapter 6, probably has a heading that says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That was the miracle where there were thousands of people Jesus had taught all day. It's the end of the day. They're tired. They're hungry. The disciples say, send them all home so they can eat. And Jesus says, no, you got to feed them. Eventually, they find the boy, five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus blesses it, breaks it. They feed everybody, collect 12 baskets. So they're just coming off of that experience where they had seen people filled with bread. And Jesus uses this analogy. I'm the bread of life. Now, what are some things he might have meant? I think one of the... One of the best attributes of bread is that bread is for everyone. 
Bread is for everyone. This was not some special order. This was not a unique type of food. Everybody had bread. Everybody has bread today. You, you go to the fanciest restaurant, they got bread. Right, a little side plate, some butter, olive oil, dip it in. They got bread at the wealthiest of restaurants. Go to the poorest places in the world, they're making bread. And they're finding a way to feed their family with bread. Bread is for everyone. You, you don't have to have a sophisticated palate. You, you don't have to speak a foreign language so you can order off the fancy menu. You just have to know that you're hungry. You just have to know that there's a part of you that isn't satisfied by anything else. And you want to be satisfied. I am the bread of life. Now, notice, he didn't say, I'm the salad of life, right? I love Jesus' words. He could have said anything. He didn't say, I'm the kale of life. Apologies to kale lovers, right? He said, I'm the bread of life. And bread is available to anyone. He uses the most common food analogy that he could have come up with. He didn't say, I'm the filet mignon. He didn't say, I'm the escargot, because that's gross, right? He didn't say, I'm the caviar, haven't had it, but I've heard it's gross. Now, he didn't say something fancy. The most common, accessible food item, Jesus says, that's me. Let's start there. I'm for everyone and anyone who will believe. I am for anyone and everyone who just recognizes that they're hung- hungry. Because hunger is that trigger warning that we need to be satisfied, right? It's one of our body's warning signals that, hey, you need something that you don't currently have. Our body gives lots of warning signals. The older I get, the more warning signals my body gives. But hunger's one of those from the very beginning that our body gives off to say, you aren't satisfied, you need something. That's probably part of what Jesus was saying. Hunger is a primary need in our life. It's not a secondary. It's not, it's not one that we could wait on. Not for very long. Because if hunger isn't satisfied, nothing else we pursue will matter or get accomplished. It's, it's a primary need. If you don't eat, you're not going to last for very long. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, you need to see me as primary. Like, not me and a whole bunch of other things. Or once I get these other things done, then you. Not a little bit of you and chasing a whole bunch of other things. The the problem for us spiritually is we feel that sense of hunger and need for something spiritual, for Jesus. And often we try to fill that with other things that don't satisfy, that don't fill us up. And as a result, we end up emaciated people trying to find satisfaction in other ways. We pretty much have a culture, we have a world. It's always been that way. It's not new. We have a world of people starving but unwilling to take the very thing that would quench their hunger. Spiritually hungry, 
but trying to feed off of everything else, success and wealth and relationships and accomplishments and recognition and, and selfies and Instagram. And I'm just trying to feed my soul with things that will never satisfy it. And Jesus said, I'm the one that satisfies. I'm the one that fills the deepest part of your, of your heart. So, so we end up with a world of starving people who try to do everything except eat. They try to grab everything except what would fill up that part of their life. Jesus, in his explanation in John 6, takes people back to Moses again. He reminds them that God sent bread from heaven when they were wandering in the wilderness. They weren't going to get from Egypt to the promised land without eating. They had to eat. And the way God supplied that need is he sent bread down from heaven to nourish them so that they would eventually make it to the promised land. And Jesus says, that's me. I came down from heaven so that your life could be ultimately satisfied in me, so that you could be full, so that you could find meaning, so that you could find fulfillment. It's me, though. It's not all these other things. There's a point in John chapter 6 where the, his own disciples said, this is, this is hard. Like, this is a hard teaching. This is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we're conditioned to Run after all of these other things and pursue all of these other things. And Jesus is conveying to the crowd. Jesus is conveying to his disciples. Yeah, coming after me is realizing it's not me and a bunch of other things. Realizing it's not me every once in a while. Realizing it's not pursuing Jesus when I get around to it. It's realizing I need Jesus. He is the primary source of meaning and fulfillment in my life. Another thing about this bread of life. Jesus creates the hunger that only he can fill. He stirs up that hunger. And it's that warning sign, spiritually, spiritual hunger. That comes from God. That comes from Jesus. Uh, he's talking to the crowd in verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And is Jesus is talking about this? The fulfillment, the lasting nature of this bread that he's describing? The people in the crowd say, Me, I want that. Give me that. Jesus stirs up a hunger in our lives for him. The problem is we often try to satisfy that hunger with other things. But what a good gift that God would stir that up in us. Philosophers and theologians and some people even point to Paul. They, through the centuries, they've discussed the idea that we were created with a God-shaped hole in our, in our life, in our soul, in our heart. There was an aspect of us that knows we need to connect with our Creator. 
We need to connect with someone that's bigger than all of this. Something bigger is going on. Somebody is directing. Somebody is in charge. Somebody is over everything. And I want to know him. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said, God set eternity in the hearts of people. He put that mystery. He put that there must be something more feeling that we sometimes feel. God put that in us so that it would draw us towards Him. So that, so that it would draw us toward a relationship with Jesus. Jesus creates that hunger in our life. And, and I think we can also say that Sometimes Jesus makes us dissatisfied with things that aren't Him. Sometimes part of His goodness is allowing us to figure out that thing you're chasing is not going to give you what you think it will. Letting us come to the end of ourselves. Remember the story of the prodigal son? That phrase, he came to the end of himself. What, What an accurate description of our lives. That sometimes Jesus allows us to figure out our dissatisfaction with other things or to wake up one day and go, life didn't land where I thought it would. This didn't work out the way I thought it would. This didn't make me as happy as I thought it would. Sometimes Jesus allows us to get dissatisfied with other things so that we will realize our satisfaction is in Him. And maybe you're there. Maybe somebody in the room today, your thoughts the last little while has been like, this is not where I thought it was going to go. This is not giving me what I thought it would give me. And that may be Jesus' way of saying the, the problem is priority. The problem is you're pursuing that and not pursuing me. And sometimes whatever that is, is a negative thing in our life. It's something we need to get completely out of our life. And sometimes it's not a negative thing. It's just in the wrong order. We think that relationship or that goal or that success is going to fill up the needs of our heart instead of before Jesus. And Jesus in John 6 says it's never going to work that way. I am what satisfies your longings And your heart. One more thought. Jesus warns us to look for the am, the I am, and not the and. Jesus warns us to put our attention on Him, not on all the extra stuff we might get from Him. In John 6, verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, You were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus knew in the crowd that day, there were people who came because they got a snack. There were people who came because they ate. And they wanted to hang around to see if there's going to be any more food served. Were were there going to be any more cool tricks? Were we going to see anything crazy? Am I going to get anything else out of this? And Jesus, Jesus warns them. You need to pursue me because you believe I am. 
Not because you think I'm great and you want all of these other things in your life. You want to have some spiritual connection and you want to see if God will help you with all these other things. The heart of believing Jesus is who he said he was. The heart of believing that Jesus is God is saying, I'm going to give my life, I'm going to find my satisfaction in Jesus, whether anything else happens after that or not. Whether any prayer gets answered after that or not. Whether I see any miracle after that or not. Whether anybody that I care about gets healed or not, Jesus is I am. Jesus has come from God to satisfy the deep needs of my heart. And I'm going to follow him and pursue him and surrender my life to him, regardless of if there's an and, because that's enough. The forgiveness of Jesus, eternal life with God is enough. And if there isn't an and, I'm okay with that because I'm going to follow I am. And don't get me wrong, I, I love ands. Like I, I love to see God work miracles and lives changed and people healed and, and people that I care about have something great happen in their life because we were praying about it. I love ands. But ands don't compare to I am. Ands can become a distraction from my heart totally set and satisfied with Jesus who is God who died and rose again for me to give me eternal life. So whether there's another and in my life or not, He is I am. He is the bread of life. He is what satisfies my life. So what is distracting you from being fully satisfied in Jesus? What are those things that you think God has to do in order for you to believe? Or, or God has to do in your life in order for you to like Him. And can you push those back and realize that everything we need is in Jesus, whether anything else happens or not. It's in Him. He is, I am, the bread of life. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us become completely satisfied in Jesus who lived and died for us, who gives us eternal life, who fills that hole in our heart, that God-shaped hole in our life, connects us for all eternity with our Heavenly Father. And if there's nothing beyond that, He's still God. He's still the Savior of the world. So help us to evaluate our lives for what is competing with Him for our greatest satisfaction. Because He alone is the bread of life. And so I pray that as we hunger, we would not try to fill it up with things that this world offers, but we would keep coming back to Jesus, back to Jesus and letting Him satisfy our life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.